This is episode 116 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Winter Youth 2005. This is session six. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 55. Super to be with you again tonight. Isaiah chapter 55. What we saw the first night is that God is a holy creator. And because He's holy and because He is the creator and has all rights over your life and over my life, we can only approach Him on His terms. And what we saw the first night were that the Lord's terms were, are, are that we would come before Him with pure hearts and clean hands and not lifting our soul to any other idol. And so we found ourselves in a huge dilemma. Because our hearts are impure, our hands are, are wicked and sinful, and we lift up our souls to idols. And then the next morning we were magnificently rescued by the crucifixion of Jesus. Now there's something we need to know, something we need to understand is just because Jesus has bled and died for us and lavished his love for us and stood in our place as our substitute does not mean that we don't revere and fear God when we approach him. He is still holy. If anything, when we think about Jesus dying on the cross for us, it should cause us to understand the holiness of God more deeply. Why? Because God is so holy that Jesus had to die. I mean, isn't that a question that we ask ourselves all the time? If God is so loving and if God is a God of love, why didn't he just love us all up into heaven? Because he's holy and he has to deal with sin. Well, he dealt with sin so wonderfully. And as Scott has painted up here for us, what we have here is he, he painted fear. As he thought about approaching God, as he thought about worshiping God, fear is what came to his mind. Well, what kind of fear are we to have in worship? I love the way John Piper puts it. He tells this story about being in the backyard uh, having a barbecue with some folks. And he said he sent one of his sons back to the car to get something in the car. And his son goes running back to the car and this huge giant dog of the neighbors or of, of the guy's house he was at just with this huge bark, it's just on his tail barking immediately. And, and the guy who, who owned the dog said, I forgot to tell you, don't run from him, but just walk right beside him. He doesn't like it when people run from him. And that's the kind of fear, I think, when we come into worship. It's not the kind of fear that, that says we don't want to approach God at all. We don't want to get near Him. But rather it's the kind of fear that says I don't want to get away from Him. I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't get near Him. And we don't want to run from Him. And that's the fear, this holy God that we come even tonight with. We come even tonight with, with fear in our hearts for who He is. And then I love what Scott painted over here. It's beautiful because I didn't talk to him before the deal, but over here he's painted the word joy. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Isaiah chapter 55, I hope you're there with me. What we're learning is that God created us. God created you and me for the purpose of worship. 
It doesn't matter so much what your job's going to be. What matters is if you lock into a life of worship. He created you for that purpose. And then what we're seeing is that God saved us for that purpose. That's what God's been doing all throughout history. Listen in Isaiah 58 or 48. You don't have to turn there. But just listen to God's heartbeat as he's rescuing his people all throughout history. He says in verse 9, For my sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I might not cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. Verse 11, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. When we think about God saving us, a lot of times we find ourselves at the center of that. That Jesus died on the cross for us mainly and only. But all throughout history, God has been rescuing people out of their hostility toward Him for His own sake. He says, verse 11, For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So God created us to be worshipers, and God has saved us to be worshipers. And Jesus will return to take us with him to the Father, to be worshipers for all eternity, created to worship, saved to worship. Everything that we read in the Bible leads us to understand that that all of history is driving toward the wonderful, burning worship of God. In some of your hearts tonight, in some of your minds, you're thinking, I just don't know if I want to, I just, I don't, I don't know if I want to lean my life into that. Some of you, if you're really honest tonight, you're just having this wrestling match going on in your heart of going, okay, God created me to worship. Okay, he saved me to worship. That's the right thing to do, but I just don't know if I'm ready to do that. And what's going on in a lot of your minds is this little lie of the devil saying, if you really become a fierce worshiper of Jesus, all fun for you is out the door. That's a lie. That is a lie. But it's going on in many of your minds tonight. The devil's just whispering that if you really become an intimate worshiper of Jesus, if you become a fierce worshiper worshiper of Jesus, all the fun is out the door. But what we're going to see in Isaiah 55 is that is absolutely false. And what we're going to see is that the most intimate worshiper of Jesus is the most satisfied person on the planet. That's the message tonight. The most intimate, personal worshiper of Jesus Christ is the most satisfied, the most happy, the most fulfilled, the most joyful person on the planet. Look with me. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Ho! Some of your Bibles say that, some of your Bibles don't. Mine actually does not. The New American Standard, ho, exclamation point. How many of your Bibles, I'm going to duck under the lights here. How many of your Bibles have a big ho, exclamation point? What in the world is going on there? There was this, there was this wrestler back in the day named, named Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now I know, oh, oh, beautiful. I didn't think many of you would know about Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Your youth leader might know about this guy. It was back when wrestling was like rated PG. I am not endorsing wrestling, okay? 
Not the deal, but back when it was like ready PG, I was locked in every Saturday morning. There was this dude named Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He carried a big two-by-four and an American flag. No face paint, nothing special about this dude. But anytime he had something to say, he would bellow out this loud, Ho! And he'd have his tongue sticking out like that, big thumb up in the air. He'd always say, tough guy. That was just his thing. But anytime he was coming into one of those crazy interviews where they spit and they say all the, you know, all, they're going to kick this other dude's tail and all that stuff, he would, you knew he was coming by this loud, ho! Well, what's Isaiah talking about? Here, this is what's hilarious is the, the dudes who are a lot smarter than me and a lot smarter than you that translated the Bible into English out of the Hebrew, they didn't know that we would be, we would have this guy named Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And so they didn't think we would get the ho! I, I, I'm taking Hebrew next semester. I asked one of my buddies who's really good at Hebrew. I said, what is that ho in, in, in the Hebrew? What? He said, it's ho. It's, I mean, that's, that's what it, it's there. It's, it's signifying an urgent announcement. And so my Bible, what it did it, to replace the ho here, verse, verse 1, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. In the first part of verse 1, it's got the word come listed twice to make up for the word ho. But here's the deal. In the middle of this huge book in Isaiah, God says, I have an urgent announcement through the prophet Isaiah. Urgent announcement coming. And this is it. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. I love this. I love the imagery. We're going to get a lot of images in these few verses that we're looking at tonight. Everyone who thirsts. How many of you guys have ever been on a sports team where you have that coach, he just makes you run until you throw up? And it's just like this dude is insane. He wanted to be in the NFL. He wanted to play, you know, in the NBA, but he couldn't. And now he's taking out all his anger on us. Have you had those coaches? And and so you know what it means to be thirsty, right? Well, Isaiah is not like giving us a Gatorade commercial here. He's not saying, if you're thirsty, man, we have got the best water, but rather he's given us an image. And these people reading this understood what it meant to thirst physically, but Isaiah is speaking straight into our souls, and he's saying, everyone who thirsts, translation, everyone who desires to be satisfied, everyone who desires to be happy, in the deepest part of who you are, everyone who longs, to be fulfilled. And so he could have just said everyone, couldn't he? He could have just said everybody on the planet. Why? Because every one of your friends, every one of your relatives, every person that you know and I know long with everything that they are to be happy. Long with everything they are to be satisfied, to be filled with joy. Everybody that we know, that's the way they are. So Isaiah could have just said everyone He says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. What's the waters there? In Jeremiah chapter 2, God reveals himself as the fountain of living waters. So Isaiah is saying, everyone who longs to be happy, come to God. Everyone who longs to be fulfilled, everyone who longs to be filled and overflowing with joy, come to the Father. Come. And he who has no money, come 
buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. What is he saying there when he says without money? He's saying that there's no prerequisites. This is beautiful. Guys, you don't have to be really popular. You don't have to have the nicest wardrobe. You don't have to be on a sports team. You don't have to be really smart. You don't have to be the coolest person that around in, in your group of friends. If you thirst, if you long to be happy, if you long to have joy tonight, you can come. There's no prerequisites. You can come to the waters. He who has no money, no prerequisites, come. God is calling us to come to himself He says, come and buy wine and milk. What's that about? I think we know exactly what that's about. Have you ever been up like at 1030 at night? Maybe you ate supper earlier in the day, but your stomach is just kicking. You're hungry, and you know there's a big big box of Fruity Pebbles, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Lucky Charms, fill in the blank. Your favorite cereal, it's in the cupboard. And your stomach, it's just dialing into that. You're, you're, you're tasting it on your tongue. You go and you get, you get the fattest bowl. You get one of your mom's mixing bowls. You, you ever done this? Like 1030, you're just like, I'm going to fill this sucker up and I'm going to eat it all. You know? And so you just load this thing up and it's overflowing. You, you're like, I wish I had another box here. you know? And you go to the refrigerator and there is absolutely no milk. That stinks, doesn't it? In that moment, in that moment, you and I know the value of milk, don't we? Yes. Oh, my goodness. We'd pay a million dollars for milk on the spot. And Isaiah is using that image to paint a picture of how sweet God is to our souls. He says, no prerequisites. If you long to be happy, come and get the best delicacies. Milk. Come and get that. Come and get what's going to make your cereal taste so good. You who long to be happy in your soul, come to God. The question of the evening in verse 2 we see. The question of the evening, the question of the conference, and the question of our life. Look at it with me. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? He's not giving a course on -on one-on-one how to do grocery shopping. He's just using these images. He says, why? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Guys, listen to this. What he's saying is, is why are you worshiping things that do not provide fulfillment? Why do you spend your money and why are you working hard? He uses the word labor. Why are you laboring for that which does not satisfy? Why are you expending your resources, spending your money? Why are you turning out your wills, turning out your resources, spending your time, your energy, chasing after things that leave you dry, longing for more? Why do you spend your money? Why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? What is he saying? He's saying, why do you lock into a relationship thinking that person's going to satisfy? You spend all your time and all your energy just trying to suck out of them this thing that your soul's longing that they cannot provide. 
Why do you make an idol out of sports thinking that, man, if you could just get better than anybody in your county or in your town and you could be the star, that your soul would be happy? Why are you laboring for what's not going to satisfy? Why are you spending your money on what is not bread? Why are you thinking music and all the newest entertainment and all the newest technologies are going to quench the longing in your soul? That's what he's saying here. That's the question of our life. Why? Why? You know, I mean, we are so goofy and we are so slow. I'm serious because this is a daily deal for us. It's not like we arrive and for the rest of our life, we don't go to other things trying to find fulfillment in them. No, we do it all the time. We do it in the craziest stuff. When I was in college, when I got out of college, I went through this really weird transformation where I started cleaning my room. Really weird deal. I know most of you don't know what that's about yet. You'll probably hit it sometime. I graduated, I mean, college, my room, it was nasty. I mean, I shook the rug out, you know, once a semester. It was nasty. Lent, all that garbage just dripping off of it. I mean, it was gross. But here's the weird deal. I started cleaning my my room when I graduated from college. But sometimes I'll wake up in the morning my soul's thirsting. I'm longing to be happy that day. And this little thing will rise up in me and, and, and it's like this. If I can get my room and my apartment right now looking as good as it can, my heart will be happy. <laughs> that's stupid. <laughs> but that's what we do. For me, it's my room. For some of you, it was your Christmas list. If I could just get everything on there, I'll be happy. And Isaiah cries out, why? Why do you spend your labor for that, what, for that which will not satisfy? Why do you spend out your money? Why do you work so hard being satisfied? Here's the deal. Here, what, you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, quit working hard to be happy. He just says, why are you working in that area? Why are you spending your money and your time and your energy on that thing which is not going to supply? He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And Jesus has told us that he himself is the bread of life. And so in the deepest part of who you are, friend, you're longing to be happy. And Jesus says to you tonight, I am the source of your happiness. You lock into me with a life of worship and I will make your soul happy. That's what he says to each and every one of us tonight as he says that I am the bread of life. Look at the rest of verse two. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Do you hear the heart of God? Delight yourself. Do you hear his heart? My child, I want to thrill your soul. I want to delight you. So come and delight yourself. Listen diligently to me, he says. Do you ever think of a time when you were just really listening diligently? When I was in fifth grade, coming into sixth grade, that was kind of our entrance into the youth group. 
I have two older sisters, and I thought, man, I just could not wait until I got into the youth group so I could do all the stuff that they were involved in, right? And so welcome into the youth group. The first event that I got to do was called Disciple Now. I don't know if you guys do those out here, but basically what they are are small group Bible studies in homes for a weekend. Now, I don't know what our youth minister was smoking back in the day, but here's the deal. He wasn't, just in case you're really wondering, but... But the disciple nows, they had them co-ed. So here's the deal. I was processing as a fifth grader coming into sixth grade into the youth group. My first youth group event was a slumber party with a bunch of girls. I was like, Mom, get my medical form in for the next 13 years. Give me the youth group tattoo. I'm in. I can handle the youth group thing. Let's go. I'm in. And so we go over, and it's great. It's one of these, like, three-story houses. You feel like if you sneezed, you're going to break something in the house, you know? And it was beautiful. Just, wow, it was nice. And so the girls stayed up on the the third floor uh, with the college daughter who lived there. Her parents owned the house, and and the, the girls stayed up on the third floor with her, and then the guy stayed down in the basement with her boyfriend, Fred. Nice name. And we were hanging out down with Fred down in the basement. Well, Fred quickly became my childhood hero. He rigged the intercom system so that we could hear what was going on on the third floor. And so we're, we're glued to this thing. I mean, you've got a six-inch box on the wall, right? And we are stuck on this. If you can imagine, you cannot get sixth graders still. You cannot get them quiet. But there were about seven of us, sixth grade. You could hear a pin drop. We were glued to this thing, right? Well, we hear the girls plotting to come downstairs and scare us. <laughs> so we're like, okay, all right. And so we make our way up to the second floor, and they've got one of those island deals in the kitchen. You know what I'm talking about? And so we just camp out behind that thing going, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. And so we're, we're camped out behind this deal, and here we come. We hear them coming down the steps, and, it's, and we can hear them saying things like, oh, we're going to get them so good. Oh, oh, this is going to be classic. This is going to be classic. Oh, oh, this is going to be classic, all right, yeah. And so here they come, and it's, it's like you can see their shadows coming down the steps, and so we're giving the big five, four. Three, two, one, boom. We jump out and scare them. They're screaming bloody murder. It is beautiful. Classic. Oh, yeah, it's classic. Well, one of the girls, she starts crying. She, she's crying bad. The lights are turning on. The parents who were kind of old, they were waking up, coming in. What's going on? She's crying. Lights are on. We're like, joke's over. We're sorry. And she's still crying, like even heavy duty. And she's beginning to have one of those breathing issues. You know what I'm talking about? She's having trouble. She's having trouble. And so we're like, what's the deal? Lights are on. Just us, you know? It's like sixth grade now, you know? Sixth grade. Act like a sixth grader here. And she's having trouble. And so the girls are like, well, you just heard her tell you, you know, you just heard her through the intercom because they were figuring out what had happened. You just heard what she said. And we're like, what'd she say? And, well, you just heard her telling us that she had a crush on you, me. And we were like... Oh, no, we didn't hear that, but thank you for the information. And so then she kicks it up a volume in her crying issues, and she's having the snot deal going on. 
But I just, I, I, want, I want you to get an image in your mind with me. I want you to see this. I want you to see in your mind me and seven of my sixth grade buddies huddled around this thing. We weren't playing Nintendo because that's what we had back then. We, we, we weren't pillow fighting. Nobody was taking a pee break. No pension. We were still. We were quiet. You, you could hear a pin drop. We were glued to that thing, lingering on every syllable coming piped through that box. Do you see? Can you just see us? That's the image when Isaiah says, listen diligently to me. That's what it looks like to listen diligently. And so here's the deal. Jesus has rescued us out of our hostility toward God so that you and I can become a personal, intimate worshiper of Jesus to where we listen to him diligently. Isaiah's crying out, listen diligently to me and delight yourself in what is good. That's the call tonight, is to come and to build your life around the voice of God, to become an intimate worshiper of Jesus, to where on a daily basis you are logged in, listening to him, lingering on every syllable that he has to say to you. And here's the deal. Here's the beautiful part about it, of, of it all. God has promised to satisfy you if you do that. Greater satisfaction than I had coming through that box as a sixth grader. Right on? Greater satisfaction. I mean, I was pretty satisfied that evening. And Jesus promises more to you. More happiness to your heart. If you'll become a diligent listener of God, a personal worshiper of Him. Listen to the Word of God. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So listening to God, building your life around His voice, sitting with Him in His Word, intimately, consistently, personally, worshiping the Son of God is satisfaction for you. It's joy for you. It's happiness for your heart. He says, delight yourself. In verse 3, he uses the word listen again in a different way. He says, incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Uses it three times. Listen, incline your ear, and hear. God is calling us to this intimate relationship with Him in which we worship Him by stilling ourselves and saying, you speak into my life. Your word is my bread. Your voice is my joy. Your word is my authority. Your word is my life. Your word is my everything. That's what he's calling us to. Listen diligently to me. Incline your ear to me. Hear that your soul may live. The thing is, is we have got to realize we are drinking in all of these other places that will not satisfy. Some of you tonight, you're logging into a relationship and it is not fulfilling. 
Some of you tonight, you are logging in to a, a school career of a student that will not satisfy you in the end. We lock into hundreds of different things. They're as goofy as trying to clean up our room as they are to, to being a sports star, or whatever it is. And you've got to understand in your mind tonight, that has got to stop. And you've got to come and begin to drink from the fountain of living waters. Look at verse 3. Listen to it. I want us to get this. Incline your ear and come to me. He says, come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Turn that around on the negative. Don't come to me. Don't listen to me. Death for your soul. Do you see it? God is saying, if you long to be happy, come to me. Build your life around my voice. Be a diligent listener to me. Become an intimate worshiper of me. Sit at my feet. Listen to my words. And life for your soul. Don't do that. Death for your soul. So this idea of being a personal worshiper of the living Lord, it's a life and death issue for your soul. For your soul. Jesus is recorded in Luke chapter 10. You guys know the story, Mary and Martha, but Jesus says some amazingly profound things. Mary and Martha, they welcome Jesus into their home. and Martha, she's just going crazy, busy, 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 busy. She's fixing the meal. She's just going to town. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words. Well, Martha has a fit. She's like, Jesus, tell her to, to help me. She's just in here sitting. I'm in here working. Tell her to help me. And Jesus said, oh, Martha, Martha. And this is what Jesus says. Check it out later if you want to. Luke chapter 10. He says, Martha, there is only one thing necessary. And Mary got it. One thing necessary. Now, wait a second. Jesus says one thing necessary, and Mary got it. She wasn't doing math homework. We got this on tape. I'd like to take that home. Mom, the preacher said it. Jesus said it. One thing necessary, it's not homework. What's that about? It's not evangelism. It's not going on mission trips. There's only one thing necessary. Mary got it. She was sitting at the feet, listening to the very words of Jesus. What's that about? This is what that's about, is that when you and I do that, when you and I sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words, through the word, he instructs us on how to be a student and not cheat. And do our work as though we're working under the Lord, not for a teacher, not for a grade, but service unto God. And when we sit at the feet of Jesus, he breaks our heart for our lost friends. And we go out from our devotion time with him into the world with a heart that desires to share Christ with others. When we sit at the feet of Jesus, we get God's heart for the world, God's heart for the nations as we linger on his words, as we come and listen diligently to him. And then we say, I want to, I want to serve on this mission trip. 
And so there's only one thing necessary. That's sitting at the feet of Jesus. But when we do that, we get everything that we need. He tells us how to order our lives the way we ought. And so the intimate, personal worship of Jesus is where it's at. Digging our roots in deep. And so worship is not coming into this place singing songs only. But rather, if you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, singing in your heart to Jesus in your bedroom, man, when you get into a place with a bunch of believers, whether it's church, it doesn't matter what kind of music's going on. It doesn't matter whether you got 10 or 1,000. But your heart has been magnifying Jesus, has been listening to Jesus. You are about ready to explode when you get in a place to sing to him. And so we don't come into this place to worship, but rather we come into this place worshiping. You get it? Why? Because we've been sitting at the feet of Jesus, lingering on his words. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. I need a volunteer just to really drive this home tonight. All right, on. Come on up, buddy. What's your name? Brian. You guys will give Brian a hand in a minute. Um, Brian, you're going to have to imitate... Uh, my now six-year-old nephew when he was like four. Is that cool? All right, right, so he's down there. Right on. Cool. And we don't have a toy car up here, but he loves toy cars. So this little peppermint patty here is going to work as your toy car. All right? So you you need to get on down there because he's he's a pretty small dude. Um, It's Brian, right? Sweet. His name is Wyatt, okay? And so my sister does a really weird thing, did a really, really weird thing with him when he was like four and three and all this stuff. When she wanted his attention, you're going to see it in a second, she would do this really weird deal. But Wyatt, so you're going to be playing with your cars and you're not going to come and and turn around to me until I put my hand on your shoulder, all right? Cool. So if she wanted Wyatt, she'd say, she'd call him, Wyatt, Wyatt, I need your attention. Now, what, what Wyatt always does with his cars is he makes real loud engine noises. Can you handle that? So the first 15 rows are going to have to hear it. All right? Cool. All right, so you go, go ahead. There you go. There you go, Ryan. That, that's it. That's it. So she would say, Wyatt, I need your attention. Wyatt, I want to take you to get ice cream. Wyatt, I want to take you to Toys R Us. Wyatt, I want to give you a real four-wheeler. Kitty size. Wyatt, put your hands on my face. This is, this is the weird thing that she would do here. Literally, boom, right here, under the mic, beautiful. There you go. And now, they would proceed. Actually, you need to go over the mic, I think. There we go. Oh, wow, that's really loud. But then they would proceed to have a conversation just like this. If she needed his attention, why put your hands on my face? Boom, right here. And they would begin to talk. And he'd have to leave them on there, the whole conversation. Boom. Why was she doing that? Like he, she now has his attention. Right on. Thanks. You guys give him a hand for that. Isaiah. In verse 2 and verse 3, he uses the word listen three times. He says, listen diligently to me. In verse 1, he cries, Ho! Urgent announcement. If you long to be happy, come to the waters. Listen. 
Listen, incline your ear, turn your ear to me. And it's just almost as if the Lord is saying to you tonight, put your hands on my face. I must have your attention if your heart's going to be happy. I must have your attention if you're going to have joy. I must have your attention if you're going to be satisfied. He's calling us to intimate personal worship where we sit at his feet in our bedroom with our Bible and we listen to what he has to say. We don't have to look for a new word from the Lord. He has said very clearly what he wants to say to us. And if you begin to build into your life this, this time with him and become an intimate, personal worshiper of Jesus, God has promised to satisfy your heart. I'm going to ask Paul to come up, and he's going to lead us in a time of response. But I've just given you some pictures tonight. Some pictures that I want you to think about. I've just painted some pictures that I want you to get in your mind. And that those are the pictures of what your life can look like on a daily basis with the Lord. Locked in, lingering on every syllable coming through the intercom system. Not distracted but your, fa- your hands stuck on the face of God, lingering on every word He has to say to you, becoming a worshiper of Jesus, becoming a worshiper of Him. That's for you tonight. I want to pray for you. I want that to land on us. Let's pray together. Holy Father, I praise you for your faithfulness to fill us. Father, we are humbled by our foolishness of searching for joy in so many other places than you. Father, we come before you, God, as as a conference, as a church, as a body, as a generation. And we confess to you, God, that we often just try to put on happy faces because we're drinking from mud and not the fountain of living waters. And Father, we humbly come before you tonight and confess that that's what we've been We've been living perhaps from conference to conference or from retreat to retreat. And Lord, I pray by your grace and the power of your spirit that you would take us to becoming intimate, personal worshipers of you on a daily basis. Holy Spirit, favor us now in your son Jesus We know that you have. We ask you to send your spirit to transform our lives and to change us. We bless you for who you are. The bread of life, the satisfaction of our souls. 
And so we come to you, God, believing tonight, we believe, God, that the most intimate worshiper will be the most satisfied person on the planet. Help us never to forget and to waver in believing that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let that rest as Paul leads us. The most intimate worshiper, most satisfied person. Let that rise up in your heart as he leads us. The most personal worshiper, the most personal pursuer of God, the most intimate worshiper. Don't let that leave your heart. The most intimate worshiper, the most satisfied person on the planet.